Hello there, I'm Justin, and welcome to today's episode of The Pickup Line. It is Tuesday, March 31st, um, and today I want to talk a little bit about some of my experiences as a Twitch streamer, um, some of the work I've done in that medium, and connected a little bit to some of the things that I'm reading about right now in Walter Ong's orality and literacy. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Let's get into it. So I'm sure that many of you have heard of the streaming platform known as Twitch. Uh, it started a few years ago as a place where folks could play video games live in front of an audience. Um, live streaming of video games is kind of a new concept, or at least a concept that has been disseminated to the masses uh, in recent history. Within the last five years, live streaming of video games has really taken off with Twitch sort of leading the pack. Um, when it comes to accessibility and allowing gamers the platform uh, that is, with just a little bit of learning, uh, a place where you can share what you're doing with the world. Um, there have been a lot of famous uh, names that have sort of come out of, of the Twitch scene, a few notable ones, notable ones, um, such as Tyler Ninja Blevins was a, is a Fortnite player who was a, a streamer on Twitch for a long time and gained quite a lot of popularity on that platform uh, because of his personality and because of his uh, skills at the game Fortnite. Uh, since then, re more recently, Tyler has switched over to a different streaming platform called Mixer, which is Microsoft's proprietary uh, video game streaming platform. But I want to talk a little bit about Twitch because that is where I have found myself over the last few years um, becoming, uh, you know, becoming a Twitch streamer. Um, what, what got me into this experience, what got me into Twitch streaming was uh, watching one of my friends start to do it and seeing the cool stuff that he was doing. Uh, his Twitch channel is Hunting for Games. Um, I'll post a link to that in the description for this episode if you want to go check him out. Uh, he's a good buddy of mine in real life. I've known him for a long time, and we spent a lot of time playing video games together. He was one of the uh, groomsmen in my wedding. Um, so he's a really great guy, and it was really fun to see him kind of branch out and endeavor to do this work. I was casually interested in it then, um, but didn't feel like I had the chops or the time or the know-how to become a Twitch streamer uh, myself. But as Twitch began to gain popularity, I started to see that there was something there in this platform that I think uh, warranted a closer look. Um, and so I, as I do with a lot of things, I attempted to bridge my interest in my personal interest in Twitch and video games with the work that I was doing in my career. So I teach writing at a university. I teach first year writing and uh, a few, um, we have a great, uh, at my university, we have a, this great liberal studies program where teachers from various disciplines teach a general education liberal studies course through the lens of their own discipline. And so I have, an op I have opportunities to teach an, an LBST or a liberal studies course through the lens of rhetoric, writing, um, and writing studies. And so uh, my liberal studies course theme 
uh, for the past couple of years has been the rhetoric of online gaming communities and how those communities are using writing, composing, and communication to get their ideas across to one another and creating a sort of uh, rhetorical framework for themselves in these these online communities. When I first taught the course, uh, I looked at a few different uh, spaces. We looked at Reddit, we looked at uh, Twitch, we looked at uh, Cosplay as a as a rhetorical uh, text community. And, uh, but, but more recently I've, I've adjusted the course to just solely focus on Twitch. And so before I, before I endeavored to teach this class, I felt that I needed to understand what I was teaching in an intimate way before I attempted to teach it. And so I myself started to become a Twitch streamer before I attempted to teach the class. So I spent a year, uh, learning how to do Twitch streaming, uh, learning how to set everything up, kind of figuring out how the, everything works, which takes a lot of time and, and, and effort if, if you think about it, um, and sort of establishing myself as a streamer, um, playing a, a variety of games, but mostly an, an older game that I've, that I've talked about on the podcast before, Final Fantasy XI. Um, and this, this endeavor uh, kind of brought me to see how, I think, how important Twitch is um, right now and how we should be looking at it as a contemporary and wholly unique space where people are composing texts for real audiences almost in real time, um, unlike anything else that exists out there. I've long held the argument that video games are the most contemporary form of text that exists. Um, unlike film, books, movies, music, art, all those things are incredibly important and amazing. But video games are unique because they change the rhetorical situation significantly. Um, the rhetorical situation traditionally, in sort of the um, ancient Greek sense, is the relationship between author, audience, and text. So there's this reciprocal relationship when an author writes a text, that text uh, is put in front of an audience, that audience responds to the text, and then uh, that feedback loop kind of persists between author, audience, text. So the author imagines an audience, the audience imagines an author, uh, and in between those imaginings are this uh, text that has been written and shared between these two groups. Um, it's a traditionally a very passive relationship uh, with, as we'll see here in, from Walter Ong in a second, an author kind of creating something in isolation, putting it out into the world, a reader reading it in isolation. Um, and they, and those three things never really intersect or interact. Uh, I've argued for a long time that video games uh, change the rhetorical situation by changing that word audience to the word player. So instead of the idea of a passive audience, you've got uh, folks creating texts, uh, in this case video games, uh, putting those things out into the world, and then an audience interacting with those texts and actually becoming a part of the text, becoming a player in that act. Um, someone that is now not just passively uh, reading a text, but is actually a part of that text. And there's a lot of interesting uh, theories and, and ideas about that. Ian Bogost comes to mind and his notions of ludonarrative and ludonarrative dissonance, something that I'm extremely interested in. So I've always held th this idea that, that video games are, are extremely important in this way, that they are they are interactive texts that, that demand our attention. And, and, and perhaps, if you really want to push the envelope, the most contemporary form of text that exists. But as soon as you throw something like Twitch into that mix, it changes it up once again. 
and that's kind of what, what I wanted to talk about a little bit today. And I wanted to connect this idea, these ideas that I have with what Walter Ong is writing about in orality and literacy. So let's take a look uh, here at the book. Um, we're on page about 100 this time in a section called Some Dynamics of Textuality. And Walter Ong says, The condition of words in a text is quite different from their condition in spoken discourse, although they refer to sounds and are meaningless unless they can be related externally or in the imagination to the sounds or more precisely the phenoms they encode written words are isolated from the fuller context in which spoken words come into being the word in its natural oral habitat is part of a real existential present spoken utterance is addressed by a real living person to another real living person or real living persons at a specific time in a real setting which includes always much more than mere words spoken words are always modifications of a total situation which is more than verbal they never occur alone in a context simply of words in contrast to this walter walter ong points out that words are alone in a text so when you are reading a text or when you are writing a text those words exist in time by themselves um there is not according to this argument there is not sort of a social contract being created between two live entities when a physical text is being written or worked on uh ong says moreover in composing a text in writing something the one producing the written utterance is also alone writing is a solipsistic operation um solipsistic meaning the idea that the only the only way to the only sort of existence that you can understand is the existence of your own self um because there's no way to kind of prove that other people are actually kind of real but you can you can assume and prove that your own self is real i think therefore i am I am writing a book which I hope will be read by hundreds of thousands of people, Ong continues. So I must be isolated from everyone. While writing the present book, I have left word that I am out for hours and days and so that no one, including persons who will presumably read the book, can interrupt my solitude. In a text, even the words that are there lack their full phonetic qualities. In oral speech, a word must have one or another intonation or tone of voice, lively, excited, quiet, incensed, resigned, or whatever. It is impossible to speak a word orally without any intonation. In a text, punctuation can signal tone minimally. A question mark or a comma, for example, generally calls for the voice to be raised a bit. Literate tradition, adopted and adapted by skilled critics, can also supply some extra-textual clues for intonations, but not complete ones. Actors spend hours determining how actually to utter the words in in the text before them. A given passage might be delivered by one actor in a shout, by another in a whisper. So that's an interesting idea, of course. That's, that's, that's nothing too shocking there, this idea that we can only go so far with speech representation in a text, right? Uh, and again, maybe podcasting is a way around that. I mean, we, you know, when we, podcasting is a, is a throwback to orality, right? It's, a, it's an oral medium. Um, this is my voice that you're hearing right now, connected to you and encoded over machine technology through the internet, through the airwaves, and downloaded right to your brain. So, uh, you know, you're not really reading this um, the way that I'm reading Ong's book right now. So we're kind of, you know, cycling back to that sense. But um, this idea that you know, a, a text can only go so far as interesting. Um, Ong continues here to say, extra textual context is missing not only for readers, but also for the writer. Lack of verifiable context is what makes writing normally so much more agonizing an activity than oral presentation to a real audience. The writer's audience is always a fiction. 
and Ong is quoting himself from 1977 here, and I want to circle back to that idea here in a moment and connect it back to my thoughts about Twitch. The writer must set up a role in which absent and often unknown readers can cast themselves. Even in writing to a close friend, I have to fictionalize a mood for him, to which he is expected to conform. The reader must also fictionalize the writer. When my friend reads my letter, I may be in an entirely different frame of mind from when I wrote it. Indeed, I may very well be dead. For a text to convey its message, it does not matter whether the author is dead or alive. Most books extant today were written by persons now dead. Spoken utterance comes only from the living. So when I'm reading this, I I agree, right? I think that, that this is absolutely correct, that a text must stand for itself, and there's no way to have the author present when the text is present. There's no way to have the author speaking aloud, to challenge the author, to ask the author questions, to hear the author's intonations, right? Well, kind of that's changing a little bit. Um, and this is how I wanted to talk about Twitch. I mean, what you've essentially got going on on the Twitch streaming platform is a gamer or a speaker or, if you will, an author who has created a text um, in so many different ways. The game itself that the person is playing or whatever the content is that author is presenting to the world is that person's text. They've set up their Twitch stream in such a specific way to demonstrate and display that text the way that the author intends for it to be displayed. Um, On top of that, typically on most Twitch streams, there is a live video feed of the player's face or body or other people. So there is a live presence there of the person who is composing or playing the text in that exact moment in time. And then to complicate things even further and to make it so much more interesting, the audience is also present during this experience. So there is a live chat room happening around uh, the playing of this game or the, or the sharing of this content. And the author is reacting and responding and, and speaking directly to that audience in the chat room. It's such a complicated and interesting dynamic. And it really upends this notion, in my opinion, of what Ong is saying here, that's, you know, the reader must also fictionalize the writer and the writer must fictionalize the reader. You don't have to do that on a platform like Twitch because the reader is there. The audience is with you live in the moment, watching what you're doing in that very moment. Um, you are there, and the audience is seeing the author live in that very moment, seeing the author respond and react to changes in the text, to changes in the quote-unquote, you know, if you will, the composing of whatever it is, is happening on the screen. There's so much going on there, and I think that I think a platform, the technology that enables Twitch, in some ways, in my opinion, challenges what Ong is arguing here about orality and literacy. Um, this next piece is really interesting, too, because in my field of professionalism, in my career, we, 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 we put a lot on reflective writing. We put a lot on this idea of kind of introspective, recursive reflection. Uh, writing about writing is kind of the, the phrase that's been coined in the field. And so Ong says, even in a personal diary addressed to myself, I must fictionalize the addressee. Indeed, the diary demands in a way the maximum fictionalizing of the utterer and the addressee. Writing is always a kind of imitation talking. 
And in a diary, I therefore am pretending that I am talking to myself, but I never really talk this way to myself, nor could I without writing or indeed without print. The personal diary is a very late literary form, in effect unknown until the 17th century. He quotes Borner from 1969 there. The kind of verbalized solipsistic reveries it implies are a product of consciousness as shaped by print culture. And for which self am I writing? Myself today, as I think I will be in 10 years from now, as I hope I will be, for myself as I imagine myself or hope others may imagine me? Questions such as this can, can and do fill diary writers with anxieties and often enough lead to discontinuation of the diaries. The diarist can no longer live with his or her fiction. I, so this idea, you know, this is why I've I've always shied away from like journal keeping, daily daybook writing in my own in my own writing classes. It it just has this weird sense of inauthenticity to me, and I think that's true of everything. You know, like what is authentic writing? What is non authentic writing? Um, even with something like Twitch, where I've got my face and myself and my personality on display live. There is still a sense of inauthenticity there, as I'm, uh, and some people do this more than others, but I'm still kind of almost putting on an act, right? Like I'm playing a role in a way. I try to be my true self uh, on, in that platform. I, I aim for that. But, you know, as soon as you step in front of a live audience, that sense of true self uh, fades to the background a little bit, I, I would say. So this is an interesting passage here, for sure. Um, on goes on to discuss uh, Finnegan's Wake as an example of the way that an author in print attempts to fictionalize uh, a, a an audience member and put that audience member into a, a piece of writing and into a book. Um, and you know, I, I just think this reading this 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 section really made me think about the work that I've done on Twitch, um, as I've as I've discussed, and I, and I think that there is something really important here to think about. Um, are, is a platform like Twitch, is a live streaming platform changing the way that, that writing and textual, textual composition it, it works? Um, and and, and I'm, I'm using that in a very broad sense. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that writers go to Twitch and compose their novels live uh, in front of an audience, although there are some people that are, that are doing that, and the audience is actually influencing and, and changing the story as it's being written. Um, but I am suggesting that if we extend the idea of what a text is and what literacy is beyond just uh, words on a page, beyond just a piece of writing, uh, the, a book or an article that someone has composed, uh, if we extend the idea of a text beyond that and we think of something like Twitch as a text, the live streams that streamers are creating as compositions of themselves as texts, then we see a new kind of rhetorical situation developing where we've got live audiences, live authors, and live texts all playing out in a much more interconnected, dynamic system than we see in the past. Uh, no longer is the audience a fiction because they're there. Yes, everyone's using a pseudonym or a name. I don't know who the person actually is, but it is a real person uh, there asking me questions, interacting with me, sort of getting to know the person a little bit. There is an intimacy in that experience that is not found anywhere else. Um, in a lot of ways, the audience becomes the player. They become part of the story. They become part of the stream, part of the experience. And then other people watch that and they see that experience, and then they perhaps want to be a part of that. So it's, it's, I, I just think there's something interesting there, and this piece of orality and literacy 
spoke to me in a, in, a, in a specific way because of the work that I've done with Twitch. So I just wanted to share those thoughts with you today. Um, are you familiar with Twitch? Do you know this platform? Um, what are your thoughts on this? Do you think that authors and audiences are fictions? Um, do you think that Twitch might be changing the way we think about how writing and composition works? I would love to hear your thoughts. Please leave a message for the podcast. Uh, thank you so much for listening today. Um, more from morality and literacy to come in future episodes. And I hope everyone has a really great Tuesday. Thank you so much for listening. I will see you next time.